What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm on a cruise ship right now. I'm pacing back and forth in my stateroom, they call it. It's like a hotel room slash festival on a ship. I'm on the Cause Cruise. It's a jazz cruise. I'm looking out my window at Glasgow, Scotland right now. Now, just outside of Glasgow. It's a wonderful time. I'm on a music cruise. These things are actually pretty fun to do if you just have to play like once a day and then go see these beautiful places. That's where I am right now. That's where I am recording this intro and outro. I did an interview a couple weeks ago with one of my favorite guitar players in the world, Eric Gales. He is my favorite blues player. Controversial? Maybe, but no, because he's dope. I mean, a lot of people would go like, yo, you kind of can't say a modern blues, a modern player is your favorite blues player. Tell you what, I can. My favorite blues player is Eric Gales. And I've been trying to study Gales playing for a while because he has an interesting way that he plays. He plays left-handed, but he uses right-hand strings. So it's upside down and backwards, basically, to most of us. And he has a unique sound to it. And he has something that just sounds different about his playing. I've been trying to figure it out for a while and I was watching videos the last couple days and I realized I think there's something about playing upside down and backwards with the kind of traditional way you're supposed to hold a pick where it's kind of uh, nose down, I guess. The way that I pick is kind of reverse grip where the pick is kind of backwards slanted and it's, it's the way that Benson plays, it's the way that Matheny plays, Isaiah Sharkey and myself, we hold our, our, our picks that way. And it's, it's kind of, well, Troy Grady calls it the, the trailing edge leading or whatever. But um, Eric Gales plays regular, but because his guitar is strung backwards, his lines sometimes sound a little bit Benson-y but in a blues way. And then also, because of the Eric Johnson influence, he does these kind of five note patterns in the pentatonic scale, but he doesn't do them as quintuplets. He does them in 16th note or 16th note triplet pat, uh, rhythms. So it's a five note pattern over the course of 16th notes. So it kind of displaces the pattern throughout. And the way that he does it and the way that he changes his fingerings that are different than what a traditional guitar player would do, those things all kind of make up why he sounds the way he does. And that might be a little bit over analytical or whatever, or it might be totally discrediting the fact that he's just got all this other stuff as well. But there are some tangible things about his playing that I've been starting to notice where it's like, oh, that's kind of why it sounds that way. He's either fingering it differently or picking it differently or sweeping across the strings differently every once in a while, like a double downstroke or a double upstroke. It's interesting. I'm, I'm still checking it out and learning from him by watching videos, but it's something worth doing. Eric Gales is an incredible player. I absolutely love what he does. So here is my interview with him. Thanks for hanging with us today. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes... 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. 
or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out. DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. Dude, look, man, somebody called the National Enquirer, somebody called Rolling Stone Magazine. I am doing the interview with Corey Wong. I have finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny, man. You're funny. Hey, that's the truth, man. You out there killing it, bro. You killing it, man. And uh, I'm proud of you, man. I really am. Thanks, man. That means a lot coming from you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks, man. I remember the first time I ever saw you in person. You came to some gig that I was playing with Ryan Butler in St. Paul. Ryan Butler, yes, sir. Was it um, was it uh, at a at a Thai restaurant, an Asian restaurant, or something? It was at an Asian rest. It was an Asian fusion restaurant called Senior Wong's, coincidentally, in downtown St. Paul. Senior Wong, but, uh, yeah, his girl was like doing lead vocals or something, right? Yeah, his wife, something like that. Yeah. I remember that, man. Dude, I, dude, to save my life, I couldn't have uh, pegged that that was you playing. I mean, I, I'm the first one to say that I'm getting up in age and my memory ain't what it used to be. But I do remember that gig. But it being you, I remember you You, you might have been going through a little small, little, uh, small, little amp, something that was fitting for the gig, you know, and uh but I, 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 if I had to bet a million dollars, I couldn't bet that that was you back then, bro. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. From Senior Wong's to Madison Square Garden. Boy, I tell you, how does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty wild, man. It's pretty funny, the, the, thing, the places that the guitar will bring you. And I know that you know all about that. A little. A little bit. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> well... First off, thanks so much for being with us today. It's such a treat to have you here. I am such a huge fan of what you do, and you are one of the most incredible guitar players I have ever seen. And every time I've come to watch your show, I have left so inspired. And I, every time I see you play, I just it blows my mind and makes me want to just play and write and be excited about the guitar. Thank you, man. I mean, you as well. You do you do the same thing to me, and. Uh... And the inspiration is very, very mutual, man. And uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, man, that, you know, there is there is reciprocation happening in this world in a great way. And uh, it's definitely happening. It's happening in the music world. And if we could just transcend some of this into the real world, mm. then I think the world would be a whole lot better off, man. You know, inspiration is supposed to breed inspiration. And, you know, you do the same thing for me. So I had to let you know that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The first place I want to start with this podcast is asking about the blues. Okay. Because you are somebody who's an absolute master of the blues. When I watch you play it, I listen and I think that is how it's supposed to be done. There's something in the way that you play it. There's something that's just like, 
I don't, I mean, and I, I know you're, you're humble about this, but you also know, I know that you hear it. You hear great blues players, you know, great blues players, you've grown up playing it. Maybe that's my answer, but there's something in the way that you play it where it just feels so much more real. What is it about some blues players that it just feels like, ah, it's, it's like the notes are there. The technique is there. The tone is there. But there's something missing. What, what do you think that thing is that's missing? And how do people get that? Man, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty broad, wide question. I'm going to try to give the best answer that I can give uh, for me. I, I, I don't know, man. I re- I, and, and that answer is I don't know. Uh, uh, I, for me, I think it's a, a, a culmination of uh, there's a lot of heavy gospel that is incorporated into my upbringing Mm -hmm. and that may be it bro i think that that in itself adds a certain type of oil oil if you will in in the recipe that gives uh, a set apart from uh your your average uh player that may have the technique, may have the fluidity, may have just comes from the deep down gospel world that is highly noticeable by musicians and non-musicians, that something is there. And I'm not saying that that's the answer about everything i'm just giving the perspective of looking in the mirror at myself and analyzing what i think that may be what it is that has you know people turning their receptors up to hear me when i play uh you know and and then on top of that it's not just only that because you have a lot of deep in this world that chop type cats you know but when you bring that into the other side of the world with, you know, blues and rock and other stuff like that, I noticed that some of the gospel chop cats seem out of place in the other side or in the other spectrum of the world. But when you are able to captivate a bowl of all of it, then you might be you might have something that sets you apart from the average Joe in the gospel world and the average Joe in the secular world, when you have a combination of both and you mix and mangle, you know, at will and at random, you know, no one knows when or what direction that the spirit will take myself uh, uh, into uh, when engaged into it and having the know the intel and the know-how of experience in both in all of those worlds is something that is uh pretty powerful man pretty powerful and yeah. this is me giving an analyzation of myself as if it is not me that i'm talking about sure well you have so much passion in your playing every time i've seen you play live every time i've seen videos of you online it's just like you are going hard all the time there's just so much power there's so much passion in your playing like where does where do you harness that from and how do you just constantly just express that out in your playing 
man, to be honest about it, there is a heavy element of personal life experiences that I have been through and uh, things that that is some kind of way just dancing around in my brain, hovering over my body when I play. And I'm not mad at it. I don't want it to ever go anywhere. It is what makes the connection for me to what it is, a note or a chord or a passing chord or, you know, something or this warmth that'll come from uh, 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 a major second that may be played that just feels like a bear hug, you know, a really nice bear hug that's, that will instantaneously send me into an emotional state and the tears will come and it's just, I'm about to choke up now talking about it. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's things that I have been through, man. And now that my story is continuing to be added upon, you know, my, 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 my struggle and my, and my journey and my triumph. And, you know, um, I hesitate to say triumph, but, uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's my walk, man. My walk with, you know, where I am in life now, knowing that there's a strong sense to me that I should have been dead a long time ago. Like mm. I should have been gone a long time ago, man. In the reality of the sense from things that I had uh, been doing to myself and to other people that, you know, it's just a, a mystery to me how I'm able to be here now that I took myself with an audience without saying a word and they understand exactly where I'm coming from just simply by the emotion and the passion that I put into everything that I do. I'm playing for all of those out there that may be still going through what I went through and letting them know that there is a way to to potentially come out of whatever stranglehold that that may be so it's for them and it's for myself that every single night I play as if it's my last time because I don't know if it will be so I want my last impression to always be that it inspired somebody out there if the, only that person is if it's only me that I wound up inspiring then the job has not been in vain so every time I play there will be an element of that that will come every single time. If it's not, then check my temperature because I'm sick or something's wrong. Yeah. But other than that, then that is where I am. And I, you know, I don't see myself playing any other way, man. The passion and emotion comes out. I think about people that I have lost my mom, my dad, my brothers, you know, family members and all of those that, uh, a lot of them saw me when they were alive. They saw me in active addiction. Now I'm playing to let them know that I'm okay now and mm. letting them see that I I was able to know somebody be out there going through that same situation or have a family member that may be going through that or a loved one that they may be going through that, that to let them know that there is hope that if this guy that I'm up here watching right now, that given everything that he got, into playing and doing and singing what he's doing. If he could make it, then there is hope out there. And sometimes hope is all you got. So 
it's it's kind of it's kind of a multiple reason into why the emotion and the passion that I go so hard every time. I go so hard, man. I just remember all the 30 years that I didn't go hard at all. You know, I went hard and another chance to go hard in another way that can create positivity and turn turn things around. I love that answer. That's a really beautiful answer. And I know that that is very inspiring. And your story and your journey is, you know, like you're saying, still going. And and you don't, what, what I love about that is you don't let your past define who you are today. And you are changing yeah. and you are using music and you're using your, like you said, your life experiences to inspire others and help others with that. And that really is something that 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 shows in in every time that I've seen you play and there's just something so deep and so connected and so magical about when you play and spiritual and and that actually in a just makes so much sense the way that you're talking about it thank you man I appreciate it I'm somebody who's left-handed but I play guitar right-handed <laughs> just because I had a mm. teacher who told me no, no, no. If you're going to be hanging out here, like I can't, I can't teach you if you're going to play left-handed. So I ended up just like, all right, fine. I'll play right-handed. So I ended up playing right-handed. Now there's cats like you and Sonny T and Mono Neon and some others that play right-handed in, or like that probably grew up playing right-handed instruments, just flipped over left-handed. Mm-hmm. So you play left-handed, but it's strung upside down. and you know, I'm used to playing with Sonny T all the time on bass. So I hear him do things that are like, oh, that's so weird. That's so different. That doesn't sound like any other bass player. Right. When I listen to you, there's certain things where it's like, no, that doesn't sound like anybody else. But of course, there's so many facets that go into that. But some of that, I'm watching your lines. I'm watching the way you play lines and trying to recreate them right-handed. It's like some of those kind of don't, work on the way that that the the guitar is strung for me like what do you what do you hear about yourself that's different than other guitar players in the way is it from the way that it's strung man you know i've been asked that question a million times and and i don't i i still am yet to come can um clearly explain a difference man um I don't know, man. I, I guess the, here's my attempt at trying to answer that question. 95% of the players that I am inspired by and I listen to were right-handed players. So mm-hmm. all I was doing was it never dawned on me what way they were playing. Sure. Especially early in, you know, I started at four years old. So I just knew I was heavily inspired by what I was listening to. and it didn't matter to me that the people I was listening to was playing a totally different way. I mean, it's been, it's been documented and well-documented that one of my all-time favorites is Eric Johnson. One of my all-time yeah. favorites is Stevie Ray Vaughan. One of my all-time favorites is Frank Marino and Robin Trower and, 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 and cats like that. All of them are right-handed players. I was putting on their records, learning their stuff without any acknowledgement that they were playing a different way than me. So all I was going off of was sheer inspiration. And the inspiration kept me up for days until I got it. 
And I was so afraid to go to sleep at night because I didn't want to forget what I learned the night before. That yeah. type of inspiration will sustain you for quite some time. Now, with that being now, with that being said, all I was doing was emulating what I was hearing the way that I played. Yeah. And in that, it just wound up being my own interpretation of stuff that I was hearing right-handed players do. So when, you know, I have had a period of time where I was doing Skype lessons, I was, you know, I offered them, but things has picked up and I've been quite busy and hadn't had time to do them in a couple of years. But most of my players, I've, 98% of the people that subscribed to a Skype lesson were right-handed players. The first thing that I would tell them is that, man, let me tell you something. Let me help bring your stress level down and tell you that everything, predominantly almost everything that I learned, I learned from right-handed people. So yeah. if I would have took the approach of being very hesitant of whether I could learn something from somebody that I wanted to learn and they played a different way for me and I let that intimidate me, I probably never would have picked up the guitar. Yeah. So with that being said, here you are as a student wanting to learn something from me as a left-handed player. I'm trying to give you a little bit of what I figured out as a kid. Long as you got the strong inspiration, it don't matter. Yeah. It could be, they could be playing a shovel. And I'm just <laughs> telling you, you go figure out how to do it because the inspiration is going to be what drives you. So that's, that's what I'm so happy about that carry me. Because I was so inspired by Stevie Ray Vaughan. I was so inspired by all these cats. I was inspired by Jeff Healy. I was inspired by Wes Montgomery, Ricky Skaggs, Jerry Donahue, uh, Roy Clark, Jerry Reed, Albert Lee, uh, Tuck Andres. All of these cats, man, that they were doing some very difficult stuff right-handed. And I said, man, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. And in yeah. that allowed me to have I learned what they were doing note for note. Everything that they were doing right-handed, for me, left-handed, upside down, and backwards was, was a totally different approach. Everything was backwards. All the stuff was totally opposite the other way. So in myself, calling myself, figuring out to the best that I could what I was learning from right-handed players, therein lied. My brother was always telling me, Eric, it's cool to learn stuff note for note. And uh, want to be just like the people that you uh, are inspired by. But why would a person buy an imitation when you could go a few rows down and buy the real thing in the record store? That always hovered over my mind. Mm. So, and nothing wrong with emulating who you want to be just like. But at some point, you have to put your own DNA on top of that. It's, it's easy to play something and somebody that doesn't know who you are can recognize a style of another person that you're playing. Yeah. But when somebody can say, oh, that's you, that sounds like Eric Gales, that sounds like Corey Wong, that means you've took all of these people that you've been inspired by and you've placed your own fingerprint that nobody else in this world has but you. Yeah. So... That is like, I think, the best broken down explanation that I've ever been able to give when that question has been given to me 
that this is a combination of everybody in the world that I have listened to and a lot of people that I haven't listened to and things that I have liked and some things that I haven't liked. This is a combination of all of that. And I have put the interpretation of, okay, how would Eric Gales do this? And it has, I guess I've got everybody fooled because it, it, I don't want to say I got everybody fooled, but it is basically a combination of hearing and feeling stuff that I have heard and just flipping it and, and, and doing it an Aaron Gale's way. And then you add my story and the emotion and the yeah. passion on top of all of that. And that, I think, is the ingredients that make up who Eric Gale is. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard you play with your own shows where you're running the program. It's your material. You're singing, playing guitar. But I also saw you on one gig that was very unique because it was, you were playing with Dr. Mambo's combo. You were sitting in. Ooh. Yeah. The Bunkers Hang. <laughs> the Bunkers Hang in Minneapolis where I cut my teeth learning how to play. Right. I remember going down one night and seeing you play as second guitar player and i could tell you knew pretty much all the songs but there were some songs where i could see you and i remember even talking to you that night you're like yeah i don't i didn't really know some of those songs but i was like oh my gosh but the way that you you kind of created new parts to complement the others or the right. way that you were just like all right i don't know this tune but i'm going to find my way and i'm going to find my place in it just made it like I, I watched that band. I played in that band for years. And when I came and watched you play that night with the band, there was just this whole new life. And there was all these different parts that just kind of like worked. And it's like, <laughs> like from there on, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I had a recording of that night so I could go back and learn everything you played. But I'm curious with that, when you're coming into a situation like that, when you're coming into a situation like the Jimi Hendrix tribute tours or those sort of things where there's other guitar players, there's a lot of other original guitar parts being covered, and then you're in there trying to find your way to lay in the cut. What are you listening for? What are you looking for? And how do you approach finding your place in an arrangement? That's a very good question, man. Uh, I, at heart, I'm a guitar player, but at heart, I'm a musician. So with that being said, you know, there's there are things that randomly come to me that I couldn't predict to save my life. And it just happens. And I'll find a groove in some kind of way. It's a click clack that name that, you know, and, and generally my wife say the same thing. Babe, I've seen you sit in with a bunch of people and I know for a fact that you don't know the song. <laughs> and you know, but but, but <laughs> this is my wife telling me this now. But you know, once one round goes by, I got it. So yeah, you know, with the exception of a bridge and something, uh, you know, uh, uh, some intricate rhythm rhythm patterns or something like that. But once one round goes by, I'm pretty much in there. I can feel my way through at that point. So yeah. finding out the key and the tempo. Is half of the back. So, with that being said, man, I like give. Uh, uh, I can't give a full explanation, but it's just I am fully going off of a spirit. 
that is leading me through the song and I'm keeping my eye on somebody to let me know when a change is coming and and, and, and try to follow what's going on until they tell me, e, is this your shine right here? And then I do my <laughs> thing. A groove will come and it'll make it be even more funky than what it already was. And I don't know if that's even possible, but I just find a little part, man, and, and, and that has been the story of my life on sitting in with people and uh, coming up with just randomly on the spot stuff that rolls along with what's happening on the spot, man. And, you know, and, and I just try to, you know, I, I, at the end of the song, I have to do this. <laughs> so that's, that, that, that's, that's awesome. It, man. And that, that's it, man. That's it. I mean, this this confirms everything that I've thought where it's just like you ooze music and you ooze the spiritual energy <laughs> of music and notes and sound and just all of this. It's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish I had another explanation for you, but I don't. <laughs> if you want a behind the mic look at some of the most groundbreaking musicians of our time, you should check out the Broken Record podcast from Pushkin Industries. You get to listen to music industry icon Rick Rubin along with producer Justin Richmond and authors Malcolm Gladwell and Bruce Headlam, sit down with artists you love for unparalleled creative insight into your favorite music. You'll hear revealing interviews with some of the most legendary figures in music, like Neil Young, Andre 3000, Alicia Keys, Bruce Springsteen. Actually, a couple of my favorite episodes. I like the David Byrne one. I like the one where Malcolm and Rick Rubin talk about making the Tom Petty Wildflowers record, because I love that album and Rex Orange County, there's great ones. You'll also learn about up and coming stars like Michelle Zahner, who talks about her big plans for her dreamy indie pop band, Japanese Breakfast. Insane band, great interview. With episodes featuring artists across rock, punk, hip hop, jazz, every music genre imaginable, there's something for everyone on Broken Record. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Well, some of the style that you play and some of the circles that you roll in and a lot of what, I guess, uh, somewhat genre, I wouldn't say genre specific, but some of the stuff that you do, you end up in situations where you're around these other real powerhouse musicians, mm-hmm. real powerhouse guitar players. And what I do, I mean, you know, I'm primarily a rhythm player. I can play lead and all that, but like, mm-hmm. I like laying in the cut, laying yeah. in the pocket sort of thing. Nice. It's less of a, it's less of a like, rawr, way out front thing. In a right. lot of situations that I've seen you, you're in, in a situation where there's maybe three, four people where you, it's all these like rodeo bulls just waiting for that gate to open so you can <laughs> let out. Right, in those right, moments, right. how do you find your place how do you allow the place for somebody else? And how do you make sure that you don't let the kind of like chest puffing, muscular, ego competition thing get in the way of that? For me, for, uh, I think I can comfortably say for me, I never approach uh, an encounter or uh, a swapping of energy with somebody on stage in a competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never have and never will. 
be that way. I look at it as if I'm there having a conversation. Yeah. We're having a conversation and I'm reciprocating what's being spoken to me. That's the first part. The second part is I am never in a position where I'm thinking that I'm trying to, you know, outdo a riff that came to me. Now, if that has ever happened in my life, it has happened a couple of times with me and Joe. Like, but just, you know, we're, we are purposely trying to push each other. Yeah. Anytime you see me and Joe. And it's the same with me and Eric Johnson. Mm-hmm. We are purposely pushing each other. And in that way, it's for our own selfish reasons that we are the gases. When you think the carburetor has all four barrels open, you know, you see you see another eight barrels come out. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's that. That's that. Uh and and honestly, the you know, the 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 part about chest and uh, popping out and this and this and that i don't think there's ever any time anyone can say that they saw that of me and and um you know because here here's here's why i never entertained into that it's because there are guaranteed 1 million percent of the time there's going to be somebody out there doing it for me so i don't even have to engage into the that shit out. Oh shit! Oh god! Somebody out there doing it already. You know what I'm saying? So I just do my part and play what comes to me and what I feel, and uh, I'm having a conversation. You know, it's never about anything. And when somebody else is engaging in their shine, if you will, or their spotlight, I either will back out and let that platform be theirs or accompany it with some Corey Wong funk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just just call it what it is. I'll put some Corey, I'll put some Corey Wong on the bottom of it and call it a day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just keeping it a buck with you. You know what I mean? So that is the, I guess, the core of my approach in any scenario that I may be with somebody, you know? Uh, but definitely me and Joe, we are purposely on jumping in front of, we are purposely on stage with each other to push yeah. each other to the max. I mean, you know, you know, you got this one. Okay. I got this one. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. You got that one. All right. Here's another one. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're doing this at a conversation to the highest degree. And I uh, love it every time that we do Joe's like I like I've spoken before. Joe's one of my good friends, one of my best friends, and uh, we live we live to do that. And uh, uh, me and Eric Johnson, we do we do the same thing, man. And 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 you know, yeah, you just gotta, you know, you have to be very very careful stepping onto a stage with somebody like uh, Eric Johnson or Joe Bonamassa or you know a, a bunch of these other cats. You know, you got Kingfish out there that's killing the game right now. You know what I mean? Kingfish is doing his thing. I call him my nephew, and uh, you know, and, and it's a bunch of cats out there killing. You got Philip Sates, man. You got some really bad ass powerhouse dudes out there that you know. I just look forward to the opportunity to just have a conversation with them, and it's not always going to be blistering notes and 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 fast runs and stuff like that. I would be remiss to not make sure Albert King and and your John Lee Hookers and your and your Muddy Waters and BB and Kings and, and Luther Allison's and, 
and all of these type of cats that, you know, and they did fear notes, but you know, they, they hit you in a spot that, that a fast riff could not do, you know what I mean? And, and so I, you know, take from all of those pages in the book, man, not just from the fast pages, yeah. not just from the slow pages, not just from the riff pages. I take them from the chord pages too. There is a solo that can be done with nothing but chords that can move you much more than notes can. You know, and I know you know that. I mean, it's it, it chords out there that'll touch you just as much as real. So, you know, all of those things I like to dive into. That's great. And also to your point earlier where you found a way to find your own fingerprint and DNA, that it's like no matter how you do your thing, no, no matter how you play, it's going to be you and it's going to just like sound like you. So it's less of a competition, I guess, or it doesn't need to be a competition. It's a conversation, like you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I got a question about, I, I, I got to dive into the gear thing because I, for the last few years, have been using your signature amp. I saw, I see, <laughs> I heard, I seen, I seen, man. I, I, I'm, oh, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm I absolutely I'm love the DV Mark Eric Gale signature amp. This is an amp that I've been, I got it right behind me. It's an incredible 250 watt hybrid solid state and tube. It's got a micro tube in it where, uh, let me see, the controls are volume, bass, mid, treble, and reverb. And reverb. That's it. So tell me a little bit about how you guys voice this amp, because I love a really fast, like the first time I saw you play, you were playing through uh, maybe a two rock or you were playing, actually, I think one time I saw you playing through a dumble or something. And those are really fast, Uh really great. Two amps, right? But right. sometimes they're almost not fast enough for the transient, that really percussive thing. What I love about the DB Mark amp is that it's so percussive. It's such a fast amp. I think maybe because of the solid state nature of it, but then also there's this warm, round top end to it that I haven't heard in any other solid state amps. Can you tell me a little bit about how you developed this amp with Marco and kind of like how you landed on, on this thing? Man, Marco invited me to Pescara, Italy, and we sat down in his uh, enterprise over there. And we just went through some, I, I told him, and it was like, man, I would like to make an amp for you. And I told him, I said, man, all I need is I need a very powerful one channel clean amp. And we just went through a couple. We went through, you know, the tone of a Fender Twin, a couple of other, you know, just, you know, and we just dialed in a great clean tone mm-hmm. that worked well with pedals. And, uh, you know, I, you know, he was like, you know, where would you like the center point to be for each knob? You know, point enough of what you want in the bass response is the middle point enough of what you want in the mids and we went through each one and you know i had him bump up just a little bit each parameter so what would be middle would be this would be what middle would be like two o'clock yeah yeah two o'clock so he adjusted to that and uh i said man i just need powerful and clean I said, man, I got beautiful chords and 
things that I like to hear that I need to be crystally clean, you know, especially because I play through uh, guitars that are catered to clean stuff. Les Pauls are predominantly guitars that work better with game. Yeah. And, you know, they, 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 you know, and I'm a fan of them. I'm a fan of Les Pauls. I'm a fan of Paul Reed Smith's. I have a few of them. I have a couple of John Mayers, you know, and, and, and going from there. So, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the thing about the clean tone, I, I literally a three single coil, got a caster ish, you know, something that's clean that can give you the funk kick and kick, you know what I mean? And, with that being said, I need I my home base is clean and it and, and, and it has to be that. And uh I just need that power. And uh before the day was over with me and Marco there and I told him, I said, This it right here. And then uh, made it to what what you know, built it up and he said, What do you want to call it? I said, Well, my nickname is Raw Dog. And he said, That's it. And uh we came up with it, man, and, and the power that comes out of it. I oftentimes run four. I don't know if you do this or not, but it's a whole lot more power. I run sometimes four cabinets off of one head. What? Dude, dude, dude. Yes, sir. Okay, tell me, tell me how and why. Four cabinets, one head. That sounds amazing. What cabinets do you use? I, like to play loud. I really do like to play loud. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. I like to play loud, and uh, it, it, it's not always it's not always about the volume. It's about the girth. Yeah. From four cabinets. So how I run four cabinets is I slave them. I come. I, there's only one output that I take out of the back of the head. Yeah. So I have the I have the Gold Series Frank Gambale style cabinet yeah slant vertical two twelve, and i run out of one cabinet into the next cabinet out of that cabinet into the next cabinet out of that cabinet into the next cabinet and it it, and it doesn't it doesn't cause uh because you're dealing with solid state power but the tone is coming from the tube so you're not worried about or anything comes that's generating this amp can handle one output being slaved to four cabinets. The minimum that I would, I have ran one cabinet before, but the minimum that I do is two cabinets. But sometimes I have three cabinets and all of the, I'll run them in a semicircle. In a semi, there'll be like a semicircle, not all straight. They'll be like curved in. Wow. How do you run your cabinets from your head? How do you run them? Well, Certainly now I'm going to have to start running four just to try it. But uh, <laughs> I will say that I, every time I've run two cabinets out of the out of this your amp, it has sounded amazing. So I I have a two rock cabinet, a one twelve, and then I also have yeah I have a two twelve uh, DV, DV mark. mark. I have a one twelve DV mark. I have a one twelve Supro and a one twelve two rock cabinet. So sometimes what I do is I run the 112 DV Mark and the 112 Supro. And then in the other one, I'll use just the 112 two rock. But sometimes what I do is, because I use two of the amp heads. 
I run in stereo, like a true stereo. So I see. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, th- th- that that hey, dude. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, but dude, the amount of power that you'll have. And dude, I think you got it. I think you got it pretty dialed in, man. I think you got it pretty dialed in. Anytime that you see me with three or four cabinets and there's two heads up there, the the second head is only for a backup. Yeah. And I, I'm coming out of one speaker output of the back of the head, and I'm going into one cabinet, connecting from one cabinet to the next, and so on and so on. Man, I love that. See, the thing is, Mark Bass got huge. I don't know why DV Mark didn't Dude. get his, like, it is such a freaking awesome amp. Like, how did, how are they not just as big as Mark Bass? The thing is, you know, and I see the world knows now that it's DV Mark that I did this crown record with. They saw it and they see it in the video. They see you doing it. You know what I mean? So I think us are, you know, you got your Frank Gambales and you've got Steve Howe, Greg Howe, and, 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 and McCall Pines and all of that. But but what's being visible? Who who are visibly seen, you know, is like uh, uh, you are an iconic person. You are an iconic person right now, and you playing to a bunch of people, man. So them seeing that is a big, huge headway for D.B. Mark. For people to see me playing these amps and they seeing that this is what I'm using, you know, they have been selling quite well. I mean, I, I can always look to, you know, see more of them to be sold. And hopefully this will sell more after doing this podcast. But <laughs> that is, I, I I agree with you, man. Like this, like the world needs to know there needs to be a massive amp display in every guitar center with D.B. Mark, Eric Gale's Raw Dog models in there. So all you general managers of Guitar Center, what are you waiting on? Put them in there because Corey Wong and Eric Gales are no slouches. We do know about tone. And Joe Bonamassa, I quote, said to me, Eric, you got a fucking badass amp going on with what you got going on. Don't change a goddamn thing. That motherfucker sound good as shit. So if you got somebody like Joe Bonamassa with dumbbells and tweeds and all of this shit and everything else, and he's saying he loves what I'm going through. What is the rest of the world waiting on? <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> dude. I'm I'm dead serious. That amp company is so dope, and Marco is is really an incredible an incredible amp maker. And I mean, Good I dude. use the Mark bass amps too. Like the freaking bass amps are insane. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I do too, man. I mean, you look at my whole background. Amp wise, it's Mark bass and DB Mark. I mean, everywhere. They're great. They supply it all over the world. I don't have to worry about it. I just hit up Ricardo and my tour manager let Ricardo know where I needed it at and it's there. So, I mean, I don't know what all of y'all are waiting on, but you know, hey, I'm trying to tell y'all I'm with you, man. I've, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm right there with you, dude. So yeah, I think people, I think people will finally get hip to, I mean, there's so many companies out there. There's so many amps. There's so many great things. I think some people, some people get scared with the, oh, it's solid state. Can it really sound that good? It's like, I'll tell you what, plug into it and see if you're inspired because I guarantee you, you will be. There you go. That's, that's really just it. Yeah. Well, 
Tell me, what's next for you? Are you going out on tour? You got the new album. You got The Crown. Awesome music video, by the way. I love that. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit of what's next for you. I think next thing, what I have, what, what I have in my next is doing something with Corey Wong. I am going on yes. record right now. And Eric Gales and Corey Wong got to put and take, you already taking the funk to the masses. But, you know, I want to do something with Corey Wong. Uh, that's what, that is my huge aspiration to want to do. But in the meantime, I am, I have a bunch of dates, a bunch of good dates that are consistently coming in uh, in support of this crown record. Uh, a little later on in the year, we're working on a, a really nice theater tour that is going to happen. A lot of festivals that's happened this year, man. I'm going to push this crown record until I can't push it no more. And uh, uh, I, I, I just got off the phone with Kev Mo earlier today. We're already starting to write for the next record. And uh, it is uh, just... Hey man, you know I'm I'm here and I and I and I need to I need the world to know that uh uh I'm back, man. I'm back. I'm back all the way. Well, I'm I'm here to do all of that. I will play literally anything with you because I'm such a fan. <laughs> that one time that you and Charlie Hunter and I just got together Dude. and jammed for like an Dude. hour and a half, just like <laughs> just sat down and just went. And Jordan Rose on drums. That was such a fun like we got to do that again you charlie and i that was like pocket trading back and forth just oh my gosh that shit right there that's what needs to happen right there yeah yeah charlie dude oh my god charlie hunter is pound for pound one of the scariest players in this world you got charlie hunter you got isaiah sharky you got jubu smith Come on, man. These cats are dangerous, bro. Like, oh, ain't I know. no joke. There's nothing to be played. Oh, my God. But me, you, and Charlie, that might be something that we might can make happen for sure. For real. Dude, that would be because all of our styles are so different. <laughs> right, but they would complement right. each other so. I mean, we did it. I mean, we oh, did it yeah. in the jam. But if we actually organized something, it'd be insane. Oh, my God. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey. If you make the call, I'm there. All right, I'm going to organize it. You hear, you heard it here first, everybody. We're doing it. Awesome. Well, I love you, bro. Eric, thanks so much for hanging with us, man. It's, it's been an absolute treat to, to hang with you a little bit today. And hopefully I'll see you sometime in person soon. It's been a little too long. Yes, sir. And I'm excited to come out and see you on tour, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check your dates. I'm going to come to one of them. Hey, man. Hey, as long as you bring your guitar with you, we're going to do some funk. All right, I'm in. <laughs> All right, bro. Take care of yourself, man. Love, man. All right. Thanks, man. Love you, bro. Peace. There you have it. Eric Gales. Like I said at the beginning, he is my favorite blues player of all time. I love Eric Gales. He's an absolutely wonderful person, and he's very kind for saying a lot of kind words to me about my playing, and I just look up to him so much as a musician and as a guitar player. He's just got so much power and so much life to what he brings to the table on the instrument. And I'm appreciative of him taking the time to hang with us today. I'm appreciative of you for hanging out with us today. Thanks for, I mean, if if you're interested in this, 
It's one of those things where it helps us as a podcast if you subscribe or follow or whatever it is. It's all different now on whatever platform you're on. So hit whatever button notifies you whenever we put out a new podcast. We're doing this every other week. It's a new podcast. And if you're also interested, I have a YouTube variety show where I interview other people as well and I play a lot of music with them. So thanks for hanging. We'll see you next time. Peace.